Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the 68th edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. Uh, each week, we uh, pick a uh, corresponding number of a player or past players to the number of the podcast. I didn't articulate that very well, but this is number 68, so look at some memorable number 68s. The current number 68 is Thaddeus Coleman, there's Dominic Picard, there's... Uh, why is and, Andrew, Andrew Green? Not Andrew in Green. Here today. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say Andrew Green. So there's a there's a there's a few. So one um, of my favorite all time 68s, the angry Frenchman, as you mentioned, Dominic. Picard. What a great guy he was. Huge Pats fan too. And Laurie Scalrude as well. So there's some 68s. Legend. I don't need to introduce this person, but I'm going to dutifully do so anyway. Uh, we're very honored today that uh, Rod Peterson is with us. Uh, Rod is the host of his own eponymous sports talk show. Which is, is that wonderful. A compliment? I wanted to get Eponymous in, so he's the host of the Rod <laughs> thank Peterson you. Show, thank you, thank uh, which uh, just finished recording its seventy fourth episode. Dan Rasch, Chris de France, Dan Rasch. <laughs> so um, uh, they've overtaken us in the past. Uh, T.J. Oshi. T.J. Oshi, yes, good one. Thank you. So um, we're going <laughs> to yak about all things riders and perhaps something, a few things tangential, mm-hmm. as we tend to do. But uh, Murray McCormick, by the way, is not with us. We were thinking of going with an empty chair. That seems to be fashionable lately, he's, but he's on holidays. So we're, we're, uh, we're doing this in memory of Murray. He'll be back next week. Hi, Murray. Uh, hi, Murray. Um, Rod, what do you make of this? Uh, let's, just, let's just drill right down into uh, the rider game on Saturday against Montreal. What's your take on, on those proceedings? Riders win 27-25. Uh, well... They were favored by six, so which I thought was a generous spread. Yeah, and I don't know why it was that. Well, I saw everything from six to seven point five points. I just thought that seemed a lot based on the last time they met, the rain shortened game, which I was watching at a family reunion in Calgary and couldn't believe they ended that game. And I thought the Alouettes would have a bit of a chip on their shoulder coming in because of that. And I think they did. That just wasn't a, a storyline that anybody talked about. But riders at home uh, are now six and one. The, they've really made that an inhospitable place to play. Clearly, as each game goes on, we are seeing that this is a team, as much of a team as I've seen in a long time. Like, they love each other. They love their coach. And they're never down and out. They, obviously, they're always going to come back because we've seen that three comeback wins by Cody Fajardo In now. the last four home games. The only thing about that game is it kind of looks like all the rest, rather low-scoring, Pretty, I'm talking about home games. Um, not the biggest of plays. Not huge deep bombs no. or kickoff returns, touchdowns. Timely plays. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But they just all kind of seem the same. But that's fine. I'm enjoying being in the crowd, marveling at how loud the fans are, and just kind of watching. Since I was a little kid, I enjoyed watching a season, no matter the sport, from infancy, from birth to infancy to toddler to elementary. to You know what I mean? Yeah. The growth of a team come together through a season. Sometimes they come apart through a season. We've seen that too. This team's coming together, and it's fun to watch. I, I, I've noted this before. I mean, you've covered, you know, you've voiced the Rough Riders for 20 years and some great ones within that span and some bad your, ones your first one wasn't the, the most memorable <laughs> but that's what's awesome about that you know? and even at the time i remember thinking in 1999 when they were three and 15 what am i learning here and it'll never get worse and statistically it never did get worse came so close. i'm like anything else <laughs> came close uh, yeah, once the, and almost once. a couple of times but i my thinking was it'll never get it'll only go up from here and for the most part it did like yeah. the uh over that span, I, I try to think of, 
or a span that people will remember with some clarity. I try to think of teams that might be comparable to this one. And obviously the, the, chap, the, the book is not yet closed on this edition of the team. They're two-thirds of the way through the regular season. But I see some Ken Miller um, rapport with the coach in this team. I see it reminds me of the early Ken Miller years when you can see that the players like their coach. The whole is probably greater than the sum of the parts. And you've got this emerging quarterback who, who as a as a 27-year-old, as Darian was in his first full year as a starter, just takes that opportunity and, and shows that he's the guy. I look back to 2009, 2010, and I see a lot of of that in this team. But you know what you, the other similarities are, though? You're right, of course, but also... Eric Tillman and Ken Austin came in and took over a Roy Shivers team that had unfinished business and pretty quickly turned it into yeah. a champion. And Craig Dickinson's taking over really a Chris Jones team that had unfinished business and added a little sprinkle of Jesus and their own things. And have they won a championship yet? No, but that's what we love about sports. That's what we love about following this particular franchise. So there's similarities of all those teams, but I will say this, cause this has been coming up in my mind a lot. The 07 team, they were not the most talented bunch in the world. No. They weren't. And this they were team, tight. right from the start, Craig Dickinson has said, we are not the most talented team, but we believe in each other and we play as a team. And I would say this team is infinitely more talented than the 07 team. <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah. They just scratched and clawed and fought in 07. They were going to fight you on every play all game because they had to. This Ryder team... I don't see that in them yet. That may be coming. They're more talented. They're way more talented. And it's just funny what a quarterback can do because this receiving group at the start of the year, people had it ranked seventh. Yeah. And now look perhaps at them. generously. And yeah. now look at them. Yeah. And why is that? Because of the guy that's pulling the trigger. Right. And yeah. that, so, and if, I don't know if I'm what the question was almost other than to say <laughs> that I was wrong about a lot of things with this team. Me I, too. I didn't have them picked to make the playoffs. That was mostly because of the quarterback position. And I'm more than happy to be wrong. Now, they haven't nailed it down yet either, but it would take a minor miracle for them not to. So Yeah, I look back on how the, the offseason progressed and things that you thought you in the general sense, as opposed to you specifically, thought were huge at the time. And look at it now, and it's like, hmm, what, a, what, an, what an unexpected situation this is when – when uh, it was pretty obvious when Chris Jones left that Jeremy O'Day was going to be the general manager, he's done a tremendous job, but that wasn't a surprise. And I think that was a move that was largely applauded. Craig Dickinson, when he was hired, there were some people who thought, well, you know, is, is, is it, did they just have to because he's here? And, and I, at the, I at the time was saying, you know, Mark Tressman's available. And uh, you're looking at the quarterback situation, and I'm saying, hmm, you know, Travis Lule's available, Kevin Glenn's available. Uh, Cody Fajardo signs as a free agent around the same time the writers signed William Powell, which kind of got overshadowed because of the Bo Levi Mitchell uh, situation. Uh, they re-signed Zach Kalaros, which I don't think went over especially well. So, so amid all of that in, in mid-February, they very quietly signed this quarterback named Cody Fajardo to a one-year contract and gets totally overlooked. But he has... At the risk of exaggerating, he saved their season. Three plays uh, into a season, you lose your starting quarterback. We saw that happen with Darian in 2015. I saw that, you know, we saw that happen with Ken Austin in, in 1991. That can be catastrophic. Well, he has saved this season. He's single handedly saving the season and single handedly filling that stadium. I mean, I got a yeah. lot of American football friends that 
sometimes they can see the Ryder game. Sometimes they can't. But they're calling me and saying, what's this guy all about, Fajardo? Because they haven't seen him live. They don't know anything about him. And I said, well, not only is he doing it you know, on the field, but this whole sprinkle of Jesus, the religious thing. In this, we really are in the Bible belt of the country. And I'm kind of thick in the faith world. They love it. They love it. How can you not love a guy if he's giving credit? to the man upstairs or whatever, because he's saying it's not me. Yeah. He just, I think, I was thinking about this this morning, Cody Fajardo has the potential to be, Ron Lancaster will never be touched for the most popular quarterback of all time here, but a close second. He's got to win first, but he's on that way. That's the love I feel for this guy. You know what it reminds me of? John Lynch sent me an email, something I'd already noted. Uh, John Lynch, a frequent appear, frequent guest mm-hmm. on the Rod Peterson My show. My surrogate father. <laughs> we should have brought your little sound effects. Very Winnipegish, <laughs> which they use in Winnipeg. It's become Winnipeg vernacular now. By the way, it's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, John noted that he sees some some Glenn Dobbs here. Now we're both too young to remember Glenn Dobbs, but he was very quickly a phenomenon in his first year as a Ryder quarterback. I mean, Cody, from the moment Glenn Dobbs got here in the winter, he was huge. It took a while with Cody Fajardo, but irrespective of that, in that first year, people not only liked the quarterback a great deal, but they liked the person, the charisma, his his ability to not only excel himself, but I think bring the best out of his teammates and be a leader at such a young age. I mean, Glenn Dobbs was in his early 30s, but people just rallied around him. He had that charisma. I think if you look at that, if you look at that whole package, I think there's a very good Glenn Dobbs comparison here, uh, acknowledging that I wasn't alive then, even though some people think I was in 1951. Well, what I get out of that story is that the people here haven't changed since 1951. No. <laughs> that, that, that's what I hear when you tell me that, which is true. Uh, you, there's this perception across the land that uh, all we have is the riders, and the rush would take umbrage with that, but really, they're right. And if maybe at some point today, if we can talk about the Touchdown Atlantic, where I was out there doing sure. work uh, with the CFL, they don't have even have that. They don't even have the one team. Yeah. We're so lucky to have what we have with the Rough Riders, and I'd like to see them have that with their CFL team. And that is a topic for another time. But just to see how the people rally, they haven't changed since 1951. We're talking about our grandparents and how the, or parents yeah. and how they related to the Rider quarterback. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Well, that if the faces have changed, but the Love for the team is not. It's, my mom and dad moved here from, from – dad was born in Wales. Mom was born in England. And they moved here from England in 1956 right after the Ryder plane crash. So their first knowledge of, of uh, anything related to the Riders is the city in mourning. So mom and dad well, – mom, mom was the football fan. She never saw Glenn Dobbs play. But very early in going to football games with my mom – it was always mom and I – she told me about Glenn Dobbs. This Glenn Dobbs you know, character. She never saw him, but it gets passed on. And she realized pretty quickly what an absolute uh, icon he was. And it's still early in the game for Cody Fajardo. He's started 11 games, but you just wonder where this could be going when you look at his productivity and his personality. He's, he's got everything you could imagine. And by the way, um, will you talk about, because the, as you said, the chapter has not been finished yet. But I'm, you know, kind of examining who should get the credit for where they are. Because eight and four, I would have at most picked eight wins for this team this year. I might most. have picked the inverse of eight and four at this point. Right. So who gets the credit? And when you mentioned the coaching thing, that's the one thing, a benefit that I've had from not only being on the inside of this current regime, but for the last 20 years. I just, 
have a feeling for how things go. And Craig Dickinson was the only logical choice to replace Chris Jones for a myriad of reasons. But the biggest one was that Chris Jones locked up all his assistants and coordinators for 2019. So if they were to bring in somebody new outside of the current coaching staff, they would have had to make changes. Because let's just say they brought in Paul Apolise, which Lapo would have liked. You're not keeping Stephen McAdoo around. You're probably not keeping around the O-line coach. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, you got to start throwing guys overboard. So they were handcuffed that way. Or if they could have gotten Jamie Elizondo, everything changes. Whoever it is. Yeah. For sure. And But they weren't allowed to do that. They weren't even allowed to interview for that. And I don't even know why, because I still think, Jeremy, why they even asked for permission to talk to those guys, because I believe it was Dickey all along. And you've seen now, because I know how much the players love him. I know he was waiting for an opportunity to be a head coach, and he's long said that the situation had to be right. Well, if not now, if not here, when and where? Yeah. This was the ideal situation for Craig Dickinson. And look at the results that they've had. So I asked Claire Hanna, she was on the Rod Peterson show, why are the riders outperforming what we expected? And she immediately said Craig Dickinson. And she's down there every day, yeah. you know, in the trenches. So I'm like, because I was thinking, Cody Fajardo, you and I both said he's single-handedly saving their season. That goes to the general manager, Jeremy O'Day, who identified Cody Fajardo. And yes, people in the league are saying the riders are lucky. They got lucky that Fajardo's performed. And I say that's wrong because I don't believe in luck. And I know Jeremy well enough to know he would have put the work in and known exactly what he was signing. Nothing that goes on over here with Jeremy O'Day is by chance. Nothing. It's an insult to say that they got lucky. And I also know from the riders' perspective, they would say, man, maybe we are lucky, so what? Yeah, It's working out. I mean, they've been a very unlucky franchise. You right. look at their history, so equilibrium is taking right. taking shape here. But Jeremy O'Day sat in this chair before the regular season started, and we Murray and I asked him specifically about their comfort level with the number two quarterback, given the demonstrated fragility of Zach Kalaros. And when you sign Cody for Cody Fajardo, I don't think you can necessarily think at that point He's just going to be our short yardage quarterback because you know at some point there's a high likelihood that Cody Fajardo is going down, going to get hurt. So you have to be pretty confident at that time that if, if you're thinking of Cody Fajardo as the next man up, that he can play. Kevin Glenn was out there, uh, Travis Lula. There were, there were some of the veterans out, Jonathan Jennings. But even though they'd signed, they'd re-signed Zach Kalaros, the fact that they didn't bring in a second quarterback to compete with Cody Fajardo or perhaps bump him down tells you that they had a belief all along that he could do the job if necessary. They just didn't think it would be after three plays. No, and what I saw in the interviews with Jeremy is if you were going to look at any film in the past on Jer on uh, Cody Fajardo, you, you wouldn't be able to find much in the CFL because he was just a third-down quarterback and that they went back to his film at Nevada and kind of saw what they were getting there when he had significant playing time. And Jeremy knows enough about who can play and who can't. I believe what he did collegiately and being a leader there, let alone a winner, mm -hmm. um, had a lot to do with why they signed him. And that, that's why I say Jeremy, you know, he's not going to leave any stones unturned, to borrow a Chris Jones term. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not, it's not by chance. And I'm not just supporting Jeremy O'Day and thinking that he's going to be here for a long time because I'm a longtime friend of his. I just, I know how he does things and, and watching how they do things is infinitely fascinating to me too. Like engineering a trade for Zach Caleros to the Argos. Um, Chris Jones doesn't genuinely, genuinely, or sorry, regularly make trades. Usually he'll cut five guys, sign five guys. It's, you know, that's unconventional. Jeremy does things conventionally and, 
we'll find out if it's going to pay off or not. But so far, so good. You right? know, you look, you look at the offseason moves that he made, and and how can you really take issue with any of them? The there was a lot of talk for a while that that they weren't getting their money's worth from Micah Johnson. Well, the way he played against Montreal on Saturday, especially with Charleston Hughes out of the lineup, where you needed one of your defensive linemen in the absence of the CFL sack leader to have a monster game. Micah Johnson certainly did that. Oh yeah, they got their money's worth on on Saturday. He played up to his resume. I don't think you can find fault with any of the free agent signings with the Riders. Although, well, Corey Watson, you never know how long he's going to stay healthy for. But as but far he played as, well, yeah. Well, you look at Fajardo, um, William Powell, Powell, who I call Colonel Powell, um, Solomon Aluminian has been great. Micah Johnson, two hundred fifty thousand dollars is a lot. That's yeah. the highest paid defensive player in Saskatchewan Rough Riders history. So, yes, he was good Saturday against the Alouettes. I'm not sure all season long he's lived up to that salary, but the most important games are ahead. So I'm following that very closely. But uh, that's not to say it was a bad signing either. I, I can't find any signings with Jeremy O'Day in this free agent class that were bad moves. You can, you can afford to pay Micah Johnson that kind of money when you're not paying top dollar for your quarterback. The, the value that they're getting at the quarterback position, and yes, they paid Zach Calaro some upfront money, but they're not chewing up seven hundred seven hundred twenty five thousand dollars of their salary cap. Well, they're very player. obviously very conscious of the salary cap, and look at John Ryan. Why that negotiation took over a month, six weeks, or whatever, because they didn't want to overpay for John Ryan, and they also knew that John didn't want to go anywhere else. Yeah. So that was a major, major bargaining thing there. And in the end, um, it was the hundred thousand dollars that he got, and I think he's lived up oh. to that. Uh, you know, obviously you're not going to say yeah. that. What do we think about the Ryans and John specifically? But I just knew that Jeremy's going to be sitting back trying to keep all that money in the bank that he can in the case of an emergency, in case of a, a rainy day where they need to spend it elsewhere. So and he does they, things the right way. And they had some money sitting around. You can pay it to Jordan Williams Lambert. So that paid, they, that paid off well. John Ryan, to me, I, I think that one has been picked apart too much. If you look at... This is the best punter I've ever seen play for the Rough Riders. And I, I realize it's only two-thirds of a season, but they haven't had a ton of punters over the years that have been absolutely amazing. I remember Eddie – I loved Eddie Johnson and those moonshot punts. And I saw Ken Clark. Didn't see Glenn Dobbs repeat. Didn't see Larry Isbell. But they haven't had a lot of amazing punters over the years. John Ryan is averaging 50.8 yards a punt at age 37, soon to turn 38. He's on pace to break the CFL season, single season record for average yards per punt, which he set 14 years ago. Like, this is amazing what we're seeing, but people are saying, well, there's this, there's that. Just take, take stock of what he is doing and sit back and marvel at it and admire it. And also consider the fact it's a great story when you consider the deeply entrenched roots of the Ryan family in this city. It's a well, wonderful story from every perspective. You talk about, or we have talked about the nature of Ryder fans, however. You've been around this team longer than me. I think we all know they always have to have a scapegoat. And I'm not saying everybody's on John Ryan, but there's a certain faction that is. And I don't really know why. But And, and, and we've been dub debating this a lot on my show, the Rod Peterson show with the football guys. Because I say we don't know what they're asking John to do yeah. in the coaches' meetings. And Abu Meshrick saying, yes, you do. They're telling him to put it inside the 10-yard line. I said, we don't but we don't know where. In the middle of the field, outside the numbers, we don't know specifically what they're asking him to do. So I think even if you asked John, he would say it's been an adjustment. How wouldn't it be yeah. to come from the NFL to the CFL? But he grew up on these fields. 
And just this last game, because of the furor over John Stats, I really watched closely what he was doing. And, and I assume you were too. I mean, he was nailing it high oh. and deep, and it was landing on the numbers almost every single time. And the net was mid-40s. Yeah, like 43.2. The coverage was way better. The, the And that's been an issue. The, the, the game in Winnipeg, there's three guys that, that could have and should, or should have tackled the returner. The riders were flagged for no yards, and he still returned a punt for a touchdown. Now, if you're not out kicking your coverage if you're getting penalized for no yards. By the way, 76 Grey Cup, riders are penalized for no yards. Bill Hatnaka still takes it all the way for a 79-yard touchdown. They got penalized for no yards. It happens again. Um, why did I mention that? I don't know. Um, but, but speaking I of, told you we'd go off on tangents. Speaking of not knowing what they're asking him to do, look at Jamie Borum, who would put his hem, head down shoulder into a returner oh. and then separate his shoulder or something yeah. like so you look at john and there were some return touchdowns against this team and i'm watching the angles he's taking sometimes i wonder how hard he's trying to make a tackle versus just get in the way or slow him up for somebody else i don't think you want your punter in there particularly not john ryan making tackles because you don't want to see happen to what happened to jamie borum yeah but we don't know what craig dickinson's strategy is on that do you want your punter making tackles i don't think so because I also saw, if you remember 2015, Kevin Glenn separating his shoulder trying to cover an interception yeah. return. Like, you don't want that. So, like you say, enjoy what you're seeing in front of you. This is a very special thing, having John Ryan punt for the Saskatchewan it, it Friday. Totally it's special is. for them, and it's special for us. And for anybody to have a scapegoat or actually make him the scapegoat is unfortunate. But I'm not surprised either because last year it was Stephen McAdoo. Probably for two years before that it was Chris Jones. Couldn't be Jones last year because they were winning games. Couldn't be the quarterback because they were winning games. You know, so now it happens to be John Ryan for now. We'll see how long it lasts. So looking ahead, you're more prescient than I. Um, what do you see for this team over the final six games going into the playoffs? And we're going to hold you to it. <laughs> well, somebody, well, yeah, you'll forget. Somebody asked me Saturday night where I saw the Riders finishing. And uh, full disclosure, having said I picked them fourth going into the season, obviously I have no idea where they're going to finish now. But I've said second. And, of course, people write in and say, well, what are Calgary and Winnipeg going to do? And I said, that's up to them. Because if the Riders win the right games against the right teams, they will finish second player. Shoot, they could finish first. Yeah. Right? They're certainly within the, the You win in Calgary, you beat Winnipeg at right. home, and you are set up. So, Calgary, I see no reason to believe they're not going to continue on the trajectory they're on since Bo Levi Mitchell's come back, and he's healthy, doesn't have a half a season of wear and tear on his body. They yeah. look sensational. And Winnipeg is Winnipeg, I'm sorry to say. I just, things don't seem to be settled over there. D despite the banjo bowl and what they did to the Rough Riders yeah. that day, that was going to be their day from the minute they ran out of the tunnel. Yeah, and they've had banjo bowls like that before. That doesn't necessarily right. portend a championship no. season. No, and I, I'm not joking when I said the only thing that'll that'll stop the Bombers is themselves. And I know it ruffled a lot of feathers over there. But then you see the Andrew Harris steroid positive steroid test. That's stopping yourself. That's getting in your own way. Yeah. And then the quarterback getting hurts. Nobody's fault, but it did happen. And I think with Paul LaPolice, God love him, and I see that I'm not the only one that feels he's the best offensive coordinator in the league. You can devise a scheme one, two, maybe three weeks for Chris Scrubler to look like a star. 
I don't think you can do it over 10, 11, 12 games and win a playoff game with him. And you play like that. You, you play fullback playing quarterback for an extended period, especially the way quarterbacks are falling this year. That's a short-term fix. Tim Tebow won a playoff game for your Denver yes, Broncos. Yes, Demarius Thomas versus Pittsburgh. Where Thank is he you. now? And that was the last touchdown pass he ever threw in the NFL was that playoff game you against, see what I'm against, against uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, it, that, that is uh, it's almost a gimmick move. And uh, Strebler played well against the Riders. He's played well in spurts. But you look back to the West uh, final last year, Andrew Harris wide open deep. Chris, Chris Strebler throws the ball, misses him. they got to make that play if they get the chance this year. Winnipeg still hasn't demonstrated that they can take that. It's almost like the early 80s when they had Dieter Brock, but they could never get to the Grey Cup. Edmonton was there. Uh, can they do it now? Calgary is there. I can the Riders ascend to that tier? But the thing is, is I think their problem is mental. Not physical. I think they have the personnel. At they're some loaded. point, they're going to get Matt Nichols that front back. Seven, yeah, that defense. The end, they have all the personnel, but a lot of it is between their ears, and a lot of it, I'm afraid, is with their coach. Like I'm a Mike O'Shea fan. Not that he's doing anything wrong, but in that locker room, when you've gone 29 years without winning a Grey Cup. Side story: I'm in Notre Dame Sunday night, calling a Hounds Broncos game. The radio guy for the Humboldt Broncos is Roy McGowan. He's from Winnipeg. Comes up, introduces himself, and he says, "I'm 28 years old, and I've never seen the Bombers win a Grey Cup in my lifetime." <laughs> that wow. really—I was 25, and I'd never seen the Riders win a Grey Cup. Right, and that was it probably felt forever. Yeah. Right, so you were born in 1941, 1964. Oh, I, I actually watched the '66 Grey Cup in a crib. I was two. So technically, you, can, you I were saw alive. Barely. You were alive. But I never, I don't remember it. So you get my point. Yeah. Within that locker room, the bomber locker room, because I saw it with the riders for so long, because Roy and Danny were here for those seven years. I saw those vets that wanted to win so bad, but because they weren't winning under that regime, they were wondering, do these guys really know what they're doing? Yeah. That's what they were feeling about Roy and Danny. How do we know that they know what they're doing? Danny Baird has never coached a Grey Cup winning team. How do we know? And I think there's a little bit of that. In Winnipeg, despite the talent. You don't think the Riders from 2000 to 2006 had a good enough team to win a great cup? Especially they, you 04, know they that 04 team? You know they My did. My goodness. So that's why I think a lot of it's mental with the Winnipeg Blue Bomber. And I've gone on record saying I hope that they do win for their sake. I do. Because I love Paul Lapolis. I love Richie Hall like family. The Bomber fans are actually starting to warm up to me, believe it or not. I, did, I want that drought to be we over. We have a bulletin here. Yeah, it would then fall to Hamilton for the longest drought. Like, it's time. Yeah. But I just Winnipeg's got a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. Yeah, that regime has to show that they can take it to that. Apparently, next they're level. all in the last year of their contracts too. So, like Wade Miller sitting back, just twiddling yeah. his thumbs, saying, "Show me." There's no contract extension talks there, and probably won't be until last week in November. But this is great because there's there's three teams that you can talk about very credibly, um, as far as being contenders for first place. And the West Division is always interesting. The East, not so much. But the West is always interesting. But I don't remember the last time that there were three teams that I don't. I don't know if the interchangeable is the word, but you can you can you can speak positively about so many aspects of their team and tout their chances and make a good case for. Well, it. it's not rare. I mean, three teams. That's pretty. Well, I just, that's pretty cool. The year that the Riders finished seven and eleven, which was twenty eleven. Three other teams finished tied for first at 11 and 7. Well, the other teams in the division. Um, No, it is an anomaly, but I wouldn't have picked these three teams. Like, you look at, I I had BC up there. 
And I had Edmonton. I'm trying to remember who I had last. I think I, I did have Edmonton last. But as we sit here today, they got six wins. The Riders have eight. And they haven't played each other yet. Yeah. And won't for a while. And won't, which is dumb. But Edmonton could be in this. could be four teams, Yeah, frankly. Yeah. You know, you wonder about them because they, they're, they're just a strange team. But they do have Trevor Harris. And they've got some weapons. Their personnel is Brock Sunderland, personnel-wise, I think has put together an excellent team there. But do they have the coaching? Do they have the discipline that can extract the most from that team? That's the question. It's a Jason Moss question. He survived last year, which surprised me. Nine and nine when you're hosting the Grey Cup and you miss the playoffs. Yeah. With the MVP and Mike Rally, who yeah. he wasn't didn't win the MVP, but you know what I'm saying. And then he's still there. Yeah. Uh, the pressure's on him for sure. Brock Sunderland's not going anywhere. I mean, there's talk in the league about if they miss the playoffs, which they won't because there will be a crossover. But if they don't maybe get to the Grey Cup, is Brock Sunderland in trouble? You yeah. know how sports works the gm's going to line a few bodies up in front of him before the bullet gets to him yeah. so Moz will be the one thrown overboard of anybody but i just think they'll be heard from before it's all said and done i know there's a lot of people in the league that are not trevor harris fans um i am you know he got to the great cap he nobody threw can six say, touchdown passes in a playoff game nobody much. can say he can't win the big one because he did already he did already in that he's final that you talk about so uh yeah the best football is left to be played. And the nice thing is, is the Riders are in the conversation. I thought by Labor Day they might be out of the conversation. Had Zach Caleros got hurt and Cody Fajardo not stepped up. So these are good times. I picked them for second, but kind of talked myself into it. The theory was most of the pieces are back from a defense that Willie Jefferson be the notable exception to that. Most of the pieces or many of the pieces are back from the team that was so dominant defensively last year. So I thought, okay, you can take the defense. And even with Chris Jones gone, I think they're going to have a good defense. And there's nowhere else to go but up for the offense. So I figured, okay, take a defense that carried a 12-6 and six team, add a little more offense, and they might be able to replicate 12-6 you know, and six or go 11-7. and seven. That would put them in position for second. I wrote that thinking, is this just the most homer thing I've ever done? But they're, they have a very good chance of finishing second now. Um, but it still doesn't add up for me a bit when you look at some of the, the, the adversity that they've faced. No Brendan Labatt for an entire year. The offensive line decimated, and you lose your starting quarterback so quickly. It, uh, they've overcome a lot to get I there. Think Even going back to January and sudden, the, the uh, sudden unexpected upheaval then. The, things sure. that have been, the, the, the supposed obstacles that have been thrown in front of this team since the new year and how they've responded – Every step of the way, you lose Chris Jones. You're very fortuitously you have you have Jeremy O'Day there, and very fortuitously you have Craig Dickinson there, and then you sign Cody Fajardo. They've made moves that that needed to pan out a lot quicker, more quickly than they envisioned, and it just they've struck gold every time. I think Calgary and Winnipeg have undergone more adversity than the Riders have. I actually look at it as now that you say that, I see the adversity, but I kind of think that a lot of things have gone their way. A lot of things, whether it be the weather in Montreal and the rain-shortened yeah. game, which nobody realized that was even a rule. Yeah. You know, that's a CFL thing. The play of Cody Fajardo, I'm not saying it's luck, but it's gone their way. Whereas with Calgary, you got Bo Levi out on the sixth game twice. You've got Winnipeg, and we just went through their adversity. So I, th I think, actually, the Riders have been fortunate. I think that the adversity that they faced is just football. I mean, Brennan Labatt being hurt, Philip Blake being hurt, that's going to happen. To Kobe Cofield? Why? Well, hey, you know, offensive line done great. How they've withstood that offensive line torrent of injuries? It's shocking how they've done it, and they should get a lot of credit for that. 
but every team has gone through, will go through injuries over the course of an 18-game season. But I also remember 2000, well, way, way, way back in the early 90s, Leo McDonald said to me, who clearly <laughs> you would love. Love Leo McDonald. Former Pats assistant coach. He said to me one time, to win a championship, of which he has in the SJHL, everything needs to go right, and you need some luck. Never forgot that. And in 2007 with the Riders, Matt Dominguez tore his knee in uh, the Banjo Bowl and was lost for the season. But other than that, everything went their way, including Kevin Glenn breaking his arm in the in the East Final. And so I've been thinking about that with this Rider team yeah. this year, that things are really going their way, aside from those injuries that you mentioned. And the foot, football gods owe them one. If you could look through Rider history. Several, I think. You know, several. 1970, they go 14-2, and two, don't even get to the Great Cup, and a, a uh, Montreal Alouettes team that wasn't very good, in, which included... Jeff Fairholm's dad, Larry, won the Grey Cup. The riders, Ron Lancaster gets hurt and George Reed's hurt during the season. Um, things like the 1976, uh, you look at the 13th man, you look at various things, Darian Durant getting hurt in 2014. You look at the inordinate, inordinate amount of bad things that have happened to good rider teams. Uh, I think it's they are so overdue to perhaps get some luck on their yeah. side because the, the, the scales are not tilted in their favor historically. No, but I'm not convinced. They still got six games to go, plus playoffs. Yeah. So I hope that the rabbit's foot hasn't run out yet. You they know might need I mean? the whole rabbit. They might need <laughs> need the whole rabbit. So, yeah, things have been going great, and uh, and uh, we're all happy for that. But the, the most important games are left to be played, not to mention – Cody Fajardo hasn't played a hasn't even started a playoff game yet. He has not played a cold weather game yet. He's still got a lot to prove too. I mean, I find it fascinating that they've started these contract extension talks. Of course they have. They have to. But they're not completed yet, Rob. No. So who's holding it up, do you think? Because if you're Cody, I think you're okay with waiting. There's 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 not a lot of downside for him as far as waiting unless he gets hurt. No. Uh you know the the signing bonus would be the only inducement now. If you know you can get some good upfront money, great. But would that not then count against the cap this year and impede their interest for this year? Unless you put the contract in a drawer and pull it out January first. Um, the thing that I think Cody for that, that they can do here that nobody else can do is in across the CFL is assemble a basically a an army of sponsors of of benefactors even who are going to make it very enriching and very enticing for Cody Fajardo to stay here. He's already doing advertisements. Mm -hmm. Now, what if the corporate community, what if he was, what if everybody got on board with that? The writers tried that with David Archer once upon a time when the, when the, when Ottawa folded back in 96, nowhere else is, 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 in the CFL is the starting quarterback a bigger deal in Saskatchewan. Everywhere else, you, as big as Bo Levi Mitchell is, the, the third-line left winger on the Flames is still a bigger deal. So you can – the starting quarterback here and the possibilities off-field for and him and the, yet, and, the, and the ancillary revenues, that's the rider's edge. That's what they can make happen and yet, nobody else can. He's 27, and he doesn't understand this. You and I could tell him till we're blue in the face, and he's not going to understand. Ken Austin left for more money. Kerry Joseph left for more money. Darian Durant balked at a pay cut, even though he could have made a lot of money off the field. Those kids always chase the money. And one thing that I've loved with my new show is the guys that we've had on, Reggie Hunt, Stevie Baggs, just to name a couple, Kenton Keith, all went elsewhere for more money. 
And not a lot more money, Rob. Yeah. And they all regret it. All those. Cody, Cody Sheets. Sheets. Cody, he said it in an yeah, interview with that me. That was an amazing interview. Thank you. You and I could sit and talk, but how? those players could sit and talk with Cody and he wouldn't listen. For whatever reason, you got to live it. So I hope that he does stay. And that, back to what I said, I think he has the potential to be the most popular rider quarterback since Lancaster. And we've had some very popular quarterbacks go through here. But people love him. I feel it. So do you, obviously. Yeah, and, and it's genuine. He's genuine. And you just yeah. see that he wants to immerse himself in the community. He's staying here for the bye week. He's already doing, you know, through the sprinkle of Jesus shirts, there's already money being made for the hospitals of Regina Foundation. He's, he's such a tremendous amazing, person. He's, he's amazing. And what if he were to sign a long-term deal and just be almost rubber-stamped as the guy for an extended duration? How popular could it be if he or, or how popular could he be if they get on a roll here? Oh, there's My no goodness. reason to think or continue to be on the roll. They've there's won no the reason last to think it won't continue. Yeah. And I do these talk shows all across the land and people keep asking me, when's he going to fail? When's he going to fail? And I said, well, he hasn't. He's had a cup. Now he's had two tests that he's failed. One was the Calgary game here where he served up a couple bad picks and then the banjo bowl. And I was on the radio with TSN Winnipeg and Chris Walby made a very good point. He goes, I don't think he can handle the noise here. And I think he struggled on that day. But that's not to say he's not going to learn. No. That's what the regular season's for, is that. And then those cold-weather games. He's a California kid, played at Nevada. He's never, other, other than his CFL time, he hasn't really been in the weather conditions. So we'll see. But again, he's passed every other test. Labor Day Classic was a test. Yeah. These game-winning drives oh. have all been tests. And he's passed all of them. So I don't think there's any reason to think that it won't continue. No, I, I, as long as he stays healthy, I think it's going to keep improving. And you can tell that he's determined to get better. Uh, after the Calgary game, they lose 37-10. to 10, And he was very frank afterwards. He said that other teams are going to emulate what Calgary did against us defensively. He has to adapt to it. And they, he did adapt to it. They kept winning. The offense lost some of its explosiveness, but not its resourcefulness. And when they needed a play or a series of plays, as was the case on the Labor Day weekend, he came through. And so now you, you, you look at the Banjo Bowl, and yeah, they faced, they faced a tough time there, but that's not the end of a season. The Riders won the Grey Cup after losing the Banjo Bowl handily in 07 and 2013. But how did he respond to that Banjo Bowl? Every time it seems you throw something in front of him, his next performance makes you realize that he's taking this and learning from it, absorbing it, and becoming a better quarterback as a result of it. And he's still at such an early stage in his development as a CFL quarterback, 27 years old. He's, you know, he's 15 years younger than Tom and Brady. And he's been in the league five years, too. That's yeah. the other thing is people refer to him as like an overnight success. And i got to be honest, I'm enjoying being on this other side of whatever you want to call it, being outside Ryderville and just watching. And I realize that people don't really think. You think they know. You think the fans are following where Cody Fajardo came from. But most aren't. No. They think he's a rookie. And it's like, he's been in the league five years. Okay? So, yeah, he's only 27. But he's got some veteran status to him. He's been in some some big playoff games. 2017, East Final comes to mind. He, he had Tony some... gabriel them in 2017. Right. Right. <laughs> Nobody maybe remembers. You write, maybe you should write about that. <laughs> but uh, where was Jesus with us that day? But anyways, while well, people were screaming Jesus... But my point is, he's not an overnight success. No. He's been around. And one thing, too. He's, he's learned from some very good people. Sure. Oh, Ricky Ray, Travis Lule, Exhibit yeah. A and B, not to mention the coaching that he's got. Mark Trussman, too. But I, um, one thing that I enjoy also in my new life is my phone's ringing from people that I would never think 
and it's people across the league, both current and past, that know that I'm not going to be talking to the writers about what they say. And we sit and talk about quarterbacks and every position. And they have said the reason it's so hard to find quarterbacks, the next one, is that it's a very hard position to play. Don't discount sitting in those meetings and those practice reps because Tano Sinceri, Seth Deggy, Brett Smith, Keith Price, it goes on and on and on and on. We're rushed, signed, playing. Drew Willie even. Yeah. And if they'd been given the opportunity like Cody has, I'm sure it's been killing him the last few years to not be on the field in key situations. He's paid his dues, Rob. That's the other thing. He's not like those young kids that have had throwaway careers. They could have been the next one if the Riders weren't in such a panic yeah. to get him onto the field. Well, look at Darian Durant. He paid his dues. Absolutely. 2006, he's, he completes one, his only pass, and he has a run. 2007, he's on the roster all year. doesn't play it down. 2008, he wasn't. He started the 2018 season or 2008 season as a number three quarterback. Marcus Crandall gets hurt. Stephen Giles is ineffective, and all of a sudden, Darian's in. But he paid his dues, and he learned so much under Ken Austin. And so much under Tommy Condell in 06. So people th- thought that, hey, where did Darian Durant come from in t- 2008? He'd been here since 2006 and had been a student of the game. So it wasn't like he was an overnight sensation. He turned 27 during his first full season as a starter. Cody Fajardo's 27. The career arc is somewhat comparable. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing that I've realized is not everybody dissects every minute detail of every player on the Ryder roster. For a lot of these fans, particularly these current fans, their Ryder fandom is three hours a week. And then they are in their rest their life for the other six days and change. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't know as much. I, I used to think when I was calling the games that everybody knew every detail about the players. And I realized they don't. The problem is when they're tweeting at you and sending you hate mail, you never know. Does this guy know what he's talking well, about? Well, I got does a, he not know what he's talking about? Which email, one is this guy? I got an email yesterday from someone criticizing the Rough Rider cornerback, Cameron Marshall. <laughs> How many people used to say Corey Chamberlain? Right. right, then you so, just toss them or hit them. It's, it's amazing, but I don't want to discredit the fans. They're passionate and they're, they're engaged. But, but sometimes the, the, the minutia that, that you and I tend to wallow in uh, isn't the same that the general fan is concentrating on. And I'm not saying that's better or worse. That's just the mentality given some of the, the know, tenor of some of the correspondence that I received. If you're going to bitch me out or trash somebody, get their name right, or get my name yeah. right. Because if you don't, I'm not even paying attention. Well, right I, I still get Rod all the time. Sorry. <laughs> I've even got a plaque. It's on, uh, I got a plaque once upon a time. I got some award, and on, engraved on it was Rod Vanstone. My apologies. My only award, and I What should, was it for? Oh, uh, what was it? Some service to amateur sport or something. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, it, uh, it's Rod Vanstone. So I and, and someone even started a parody account on Twitter, Rod Vanstone. So I have to give you credit for half of my name because right. obviously I get the other day at the Rams game, somebody said to me, "Hi, Rod." Whoops. So you know, the wheat bowl. So uh, I uh, what it is. Do you get Rob much? All the time. Really? All the time. Probably one out of every ten emails I get. Really? Is to Rob. Yes. So, uh, so are they calling you names or we should names? go into business. <laughs> Well, you had Rod's observations. I have observations. Yeah. So it, uh, I, I'm the one that stole. Bring that. back Rod's No thanks. I love them. Well, I'm slowly Please. easing into this new life. I may or may not. What's it? Guess what? As you may know, it's a lot of work. It's funny because yeah. Don Hewitt. Have you had him in here for an inquisition? He is, he is coming in the weeks. I think he's two. Is he next week or the week after? He's Don is an imminent guest. On well, this he week. said to me, he's blogging now, and I yeah. his columns are awesome. Love Don Hewitt. But I'm like. 
what do you think about blogging, Don? And he goes, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Been doing it since 2006. It yeah. is a lot of work. 1986. You're right. A lot of keystrokes. Um, tell me about your new career. Or, well, same same career, different uh, labeling. How is how is the Rod Peterson show going now that it's had a, two-thirds of a football season plus? Uh, 74 <laughs> episodes. 74 episodes. Well, it's funny because the guy said to me the other day, I hear you've had a career change. And I'm like, ah, more of a shift. Yeah. And what I will say with the Rod Peterson show, which broadcasts daily on Facebook Live and Listen Live, is that I can't say it's the most fun I've ever had because calling the Ryder games at times for 20 years was a lot of fun. And Pat's games too. And you too. love calling hockey. Right. And Pat's games too. So I can't say this is more fun, that, I, but I can say it's as much fun. And that was a period of my life that was great at the time, but it's over. And this is a new chapter. And... It's tough when I go out to all these little towns and people say, I miss you on the radio or I miss this. Um, I don't really like being pulled back because I'm kind of a look ahead guy. And, and people are only do, saying it to be nice. But with this show now, it's so different than anything I've ever done. And, you know, I was in Notre Dame on Sunday night. See the shirt that I'm wearing. And the Zamboni driver pulls me aside. He's like, Rod, I love your show. And I said, what do you like about it? And he goes, you talk about everything, not just the riders. So... You know yourself when you're covering the riders, because what Murray's doing isn't much different than what I did. You're literally handcuffed to the team for sure six months, definitely for six months. Yeah. Their itinerary of, is your itinerary. Right. And in a lot of ways, 12 months. And it is great. Uh, but it's a lot of work. And you don't have a lot of time to pull your head out and watch the NFL or watch the NHL or watch the WH or Blue Jays. Like your whole life. Yeah is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And that's cool. But now it's not. And I now I have an opinion on Antonio Brown. Now I have an opinion on Milan Lucic. Before, I like I didn't even really know what was going on because I was so into the Riders. And I'm not anymore. And I had Jeff Courier on my new show a while back. And I asked him about the Bombers. And, and Jeff said, well, I go to the games, but I don't watch it as closely as I used to. And I thought, oh, I'm glad that's okay. Yeah, because I'm the same. I go to the games, but I'm not watching every minute detail. I'm looking around the stadium. I'm laughing with the people beside me, and I'm enjoying it. So, and I do think about this often. I'm grateful for the 20 years because people win contests, Rob, to spend a day with the riders, right? Yeah. And it's their life goal, or win a trip on a rider team charter they've done before. That and then that's, that's a once in a lifetime moment for them. I had it for 20 years. I don't. Uh, I cherish every one of those days, but I'm not longing for it. I'm just grateful that it happened. And now there's this where I'm on the air two hours a day. Everybody else is doing all the work. They line up the guests. They do the social media. They do the promotion of it. I just show up and talk for two hours, try to be entertaining, and I leave. And I'm done work at noon. And then I go work in mental health and addictions, which is also as enjoyable, more rewarding, um, but far different, but anonymous work. Yeah. So I mean, you can fix lives, right? You know, that's uh, the best part ever. And somebody fixed mine. Yeah. So that's what people don't understand. When I say uh, every couple of days, somebody says to me, you saved my life. I can tell by the look in their eyes, they mean it. And somebody saved mine. So I know they mean it. So <clears throat> pardon me. I'll take 60 seconds. No, please this, do. Please do. Take as long as you want. Well, last week, 63 seconds if you want. Well, last week I was in Gladmar. 
Do you know where that is? Isn't that the way to Swift Current? It's like 10 miles north of the U.S. border, straight down Highway 6. Why did I think Swift Current? That's okay. Town of 50 people. And I'm speaking in the school. And this little kid in the front row, after I'd done my presentation on substance abuse and mental health, kid says, why do you do this? He was like, he was 10, Rob. Like, he put his hand up. This is my question. Why do you do this? Why do you come out here and visit with us? I thought about it for days afterwards. Why do I do this? Because my obvious answer, which I usually say, is, well, you asked. You asked me to come out here, so I'm here. But it's so much deeper than that. Jeff Fairholm came to my school in 1988 and spoke about the Riders. I became a Rider fan that day. He's still my favorite player. Jeff Fairholm was awesome. Saw him this past right. weekend. What a great I just thought, this guy's cool. I'm a Ryder fan. And, and I was a Ryder fan growing up, but not to a watching every game, reading all the newspaper stories. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, him coming out to my little town cinched it for me. And then another one was a guy came out when I was nine to our school and said, don't do drugs because if you do drugs, you'll love them and you won't be able to get off them and it'll ruin your life. So I never did drugs just because yeah. of what this guy told me. Wow. So if I now can have an opportunity to have that kind of impact, these are major lifelong themes in my life, the Rough Riders and being anti-drug. So how could I not pay back to some town that asked for me to come out? So I wish I could go back and tell that kid, this is actually why, yeah. but I had to think about it for a couple of days because I don't really examine it that closely, but it's, it feels good. It feels really good to go out and be face-to-face shaking hands and the other thing is what kids are dealing with aren't like what you oh. and I were dealing with. And I, don't, I know what you went through with your dad. I'm talking about the pressures of being a teen right now. Yeah. It's tough. Really well, tough. You know, you look at the right person at the right time of your life, and perhaps I'm getting too philosophical here, but I was 18 years old when my dad died. Yeah. And that sent me right off the cliff. And so I'm 20 years old, and all my friends have deserted me. Like, pretty much everybody that I was close friends with was gone. So I was 20 years old. I was failing in university. I was drinking way too much. I was not going to a lot of classes. My average was not anywhere what it needed to be to get into journalism school. And suddenly I'd lost basically all my friends except the dog. So you talk about somebody saying to you, you saved my life. Um, Dr. Mark Anderson, the principal at Luther College High School, basically saved my life. I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't on drugs, but I was going nowhere, mm-hmm. right? Right person, right time, changed everything. Mark and Roxanne Anderson. They don't even realize they did it. And they didn't do anything consciously. They just showed me the right way to do things almost as, a, as an example to follow. And I want to be worthy of this company. So I just tried to emulate them as, as poor an impersonation as it is. And right person, right time, changes everything. I don't know what I would be doing today. And what, 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 are, what would some of these people who approach you be doing today if you hadn't helped them? Right. Right? It's amazing. One person, right time can change the next 50, one, 60, 70 years. One conversation can change somebody's life. And quite often it does. So that's what I spend the rest of my days doing. And oh. I take particular pride in dealing with athletes. And a lot of times it's a coach or a GM will call me and say, will you come and talk to this player? Because we've, we're at wit's end with him. Wow. And when I walk into a room and close the door, similar to this, and we sit down, they open up. Because I've been there. I've lived it. And a lot of times they just want to be heard. So I really like that. And what I love about it is I can work in all these sports. Yeah, look at all the SJHL stuff that you're doing. Right. But lacrosse too. Yeah. And football. And then the impact when you have the players, parents or family saying, come down and visit us. You always have an open invitation when you come through this town. 
It's not like anything I've ever done. So calling the games is fun. And traveling the nation is fun. But I, it's not part of my life anymore. It's over. And this is the new part. And I really like it. I think a lot of people are having a <laughs> far bigger time accepting it than I am. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier, and I'm sorry to keep you so long. We, oh, this I'm is more, more of a longer happy. podcast. Yeah. But uh, you um, mentioned earlier in the program for your podcast, broadcast, that yeah. you'd uh, like to talk about Touchdown Atlantic and the time oh, you spent there. So I'd like no, to. No, it's not that important. Okay. <laughs> it's just... I just will give you that. Uh, well, no, uh, it's another thing that I'm fortunate to be able to do as a CFL alumni is, is hired me to do some events with them. So one, one was going to Moncton. And again, seeing things from a league view, not from the green binoculars. Yeah goggles if you will and just see what the pressures that the league people face and what the commissioner faces because he's got a different perspective than what we're seeing yeah because when i talk to coaches and players and staff members a lot of them don't like randy ambrosi for reasons that you could probably pick out um one is this roster and staff limitation a lot of my friends are out of work right now they're having to go find work outside football because of this you know what i'm saying yeah but then you talk to randy for a while that's the presidents and the governors more than randy ambrosi uh, well, it's the uh, commissioner they're mad at. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, but to be in Moncton and see how they put together Touchdown Atlantic and, you know, both the schooners and the CFL, get out and shake hands with the people of the Maritimes, see what their concerns are. What would it take? And I, it, I sound like a politician here by, you know, I swear I will never do politics. This <laughs> is not my thing. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy getting perspectives. And to do this now with the CFL and just see how things what their vantage point is, a lot of things have become a lot more clear to me oh, in the I last bet. nine months than what they were for 20 years, right? And the concerns of what the Rough Riders might have of, of a franchise aren't the concerns of what the Alouettes have or the BC Lions. The challenges are way different. So that's another thing that I'm enjoying um, in a new life. Cool. Um, we've taken up more time than uh, we should have. It's been fun. Uh your, your generosity. Thank you so much for spending this. Uh, we got to be close to an hour. Now. Well, you I think we may have set the record. Spend today. two hours with me. That's so, one. Well, pleased show. to do it. Appreciate I think it. Thursday this week. Oh, good. Um, I got to read that. Would you mind uh, lending a good voice to this thing? Do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. You're the pro. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotter. Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone at postmedia.com and we'll read it on the show. You can follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Vanstone and Murray at Murray LP when he's not doing Great Cup fit up. <laughs> and it's Rob, not Rod, but I'm right. sure it'll go the other direction. Uh, as it often does. Rod, thank you so much for uh, thanks for having me for uh, joining us. Always it's, been, great. Uh, it's been great and hope we can uh, do it again. Of course. Thank you, Robbie. Next week we'll do number 69. Thanks for your time and uh, we'll talk to you in a week's time with the 69th Rider Rumblings video podcast. Take care. Mm-hmm.